Yep. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Hub with, uh, with Dave and Vlad. We are on episode four. I'm sure it's hard to believe that uh, that we've made it this far. And we have our very special guest, Sean Terrell from Sahoma Controlware uh, with us. When Vlad and I were talking as to who should be the first guest, I'm not sure either of us could have considered anyone better to talk about just a little bit of everything in uh, in the industrial automation space than, uh, than Sean, uh, the self-proclaimed uh, PLC mercenary. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about PLCs. Um, I know we were planning to talk some about just general automation, some IoT. And then before this, uh, before the last week, as we had to postpone for a week, as I didn't have power um, in the great state of Texas, we were planning to talk a, lot, a little bit about Sean's experience uh, working in the oil fields in some places a little colder than Texas that, yeah. uh, that continue to have power. So, Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Uh, thank you guys for having me. It's, um, you know, We've uh we've definitely had a lot of conversation. We've been friends for for a while, and and um I'm I'm happy to see you guys putting this together. Um, and uh, hopefully I can bring something to some content and some information to the stream. Um, I'm I'm glad to be here. So, um, appreciate it, Sean. Definitely, you know, as you said, I think uh, it's been a long time need to have something like this in the manufacturing industry, and absolutely. I think you've had some experience on you know setting up lessons. Uh, I think it's very good that you've at least given a, a lot of thought of, you know, giving a, give, giving something back to the community, trying to teach people new things, trying to change some of the ways that have been so set in stone, I think, in the manufacturing industry. But, um, you know, just to maybe get us started for those who don't necessarily know you uh, yeah. as a person, and there's many, many different facets that we can dive yeah. into from there. But, you know, just Give us a, an introduction of, uh, you know, how you got where you are today and, you know, your path from, you know, technician and oil sure. in this, oil and fields. And then at this point, consultant, I would call you maybe. Yeah, that's I mean, that's I think I'm a, where I'm a consultant. Um, so I, I work for uh, Sahoma Controlware out of Edmond, Oklahoma, um, and I arrived here as a, as a senior project engineer, um, first through the U.S. Navy, where I was on submarines. And that began my my journey into industrial controls um, through um, fire control and, and radar systems. Um, and then I, yeah, I worked for the government actually as a contractor building those same Tomahawk weapons systems on submarines um, for several years and learned a lot about Unix and Linux um, and how those uh, computer operating systems can actually interface with uh, physical hardware and, you know, act very, very similarly to how what we think of as industrial control systems. Um, and after I did that for about six years, I moved into being a technician for a OEM um, manufacturing equipment builder. They, they make um, uh, laser machines. That was mostly what I did, but I also worked on CNC's, press brakes, basically any, any type of metal bending, cutting um, equipment. And um, that's where I got exposed to PLCs and then moved into the oil field, um, both through drilling and production. And um, I've been doing mostly oil and gas um, process control since then. Um, and just trying to bring a different perspective with uh, my background in Linux and Unix and um, you know those kind of things in, into the, the industrial controls world. Um, and so 
that's that's kind of what I'm I guess I'm known for a little bit more than anything else is um, uh, trying to beat people up about uh, doing things differently because there are in fact um, there are good reason to do things in industrial controls the way we always have um, and there's good reasons to not lose the knowledge and the knowledge base um, of how to operate safely but there are better ways to deploy systems that you know that promote interoperability and promote some new technology and some some different uh, ways to do things more efficiently. And I think that's the, the the biggest thing I try to bring is an understanding of what the the tradition has been and why it, it is the way it is, but also why that leads to things we can do in the future and and actually accomplish them rather than um, just trying to promote something that that uh, is is not going to work. So yeah, that's. I think I'm sure that me and Dave both have a lot of different questions that kind of came into our mind based on that experience. I want to, I guess, maybe digress a little bit and touch on the first, like, I guess that really sticks with me. It's the submarine experience. Right. And I, I can only probably, you know, kind of get a picture from you, but I, mm -hmm. I want you to, I mean, explain, you know, what kind of things you're dealing with, what kind of, I think maybe not only control systems challenges, but yeah. I think it takes a certain level of uh, even like mental fortitude to sure. execute something like that. Just curious so, about, you know, that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was the, one of the best experiences of my life. Um, I certainly hated it at the time. Um, but looking back, realized the path that it set me on. Um, it gave me a, an excellent technical background in order to, um, in, in both just a uh, mechanical, um, pneumatic, uh, hydraulic control systems. Um, and just being in an industrial, you live in an industrial environment, right? You're living within 300 feet of a, of a nuclear reactor for, you know, at some portion of the year, uh, when you're on a submarine. So yet you, you become very accustomed to the, the, the industrial environment and, and how things should be done. Um, and, you know, um, prior to being in the Navy, my entire experience with a computer was, you know, as most people's, right, you, you have a keyboard and a mouse and, and a printer, and that's about um, the most you have for external interfaces, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the first time that I was assigned to do an exercise where we, we simulated the shot of a torpedo um, with a simulator, and I pushed a button on a touchscreen in the control room, and the, sh the ship suddenly came alive in this, this massive, you know, um, ejection happened and it the whole ship shuddered and and we sh we you know simulated ejecting a torpedo um i was fascinated with how did i just how did i i i ft uh nubbly don't know anything in in the the submarine here how did i accomplish that from this button on the screen here and that was my my reacher into um you own control systems and, and starting to understand how you can interact with the world with computers and not just, um, they're not just these, these boxes that have their own, their own world in them. There's, there's a much bigger picture, um, that, in, that's where I, I started to really become fascinated with those things. And, and, you know, the other thing about, um, those systems are all built using, um, 700 pound air, um, interlocks and they have quite a bit of, uh, air logic, um, and, hydraulic lockouts. And so I got, I got very, um, very interested in how, how do we control and sense and send signals using air, right. And using air pressure. Um, 
and so that was just one of the things that that I you know had a, a first experience with and and um it's uh it's I don't know it's it stuck with me that it's it's also I think opened my mind to controls and uh in kind of a different light than a lot of people experience it so yeah yeah it was it was you know it was, it was a lot of fun it was um you're doing you're doing the navy right and you're in uniform and fighting the good fight right um and it, it was definitely you know it was one of the best experiences of my life i wouldn't trade for anything so we had uh two comments so first of all i guess tom is uh thanking you for your service sean and for wow. sure i do as well even though i'm in canada but i know that the the presence the u.s has in the world is certainly helping canada as well and then we got a note from mark cohen that said sean great points build the future but don't disregard the way things are done the way they are and that's that's yeah. certainly i think Thanks, uh we uh sometimes may take it for granted but i think it's important uh to push the envelope but at the same time i mean we uh we do consider you know what's currently in the field and trying to not only mm -hmm. learn but maintain those technologies and i guess there there, mm -hmm. there is a certain balance that is required of both but that is a good Absolutely. point so it, it's it's definitely and we can we can talk there are there are many iot horror stories um that are out there simply because the disruptors are disrupting um things that they don't understand that they don't have a grasp on. Um, and so the disruption calls, causes, you know, total collapse of the project versus just being a, you know, a, a, this great new thing. So um, we've been there, you know, experienced that. So yeah, at least that we can get into that, but yeah. Um, so that's, yeah. Um, you know, I appreciate you guys. Thank you, Mark. Um, and, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm proud to serve, but at the same time, um, it, I got a lot more out of it than I think the country got from having me as a um, rebellious petty officer second class, you know. So you're laughing over there, Dave. No, I, I am. No, I, I appreciate uh, certainly everything that you've done, Sean. Uh, every time you've brought up your, your service in the, the submarine, within a physical submarine, I, I think mm -hmm. to myself, I'm not necessarily claustrophobic, but I'm not sure I could just be like in the tin can under the sea for extended periods of time without the ability to, uh, you know, fresh air, sunlight, all of those things. I'm sure it was, well, uh, I'm sure it was an interesting experience. So I, I was an FT, right. Um, which is a fire patrolman. Um, and so our job was to track contacts and, and actually handle weapons. And, and, um, essentially, um, we, we help drive the ship from the uh, perspective of, uh, navigation and, and traffic. Right. Okay. Um, and provide an operational picture, um, which is essentially the fire control system really is, it's kind of the SCADA of, um, mm -hmm. of what we call the, you know, the combat system where we take inputs from uh, radar and ESM, which is, um, you know, uh, signal surveillance and uh, sonar and the periscopes. And we bring all that, that data together and kind of give a, a total picture. And that's what fire control really is. Um, which is why I think why the, I make sense out of, of SCADA and, and, the different data and the different data types and whatnot is because that's that was kind of what I, I came up on but um interestingly enough as a fire controlman that's the only <clears throat> the only rate um or job title in the navy other than being an officer that's allowed to take the periscope um and so i'm short right like i'm, I'm not very tall i'm about uh, five foot uh five my, my wife would say i'm like five foot nothing right um so i'm not tall enough to actually get my eyeball on the eyepiece of the of the scope 
how there's like a like a cowling like a like a metal collar around where the the periscope so I, I would stand on this little two centimeter wide ledge and but i had to crouch down now to 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 put my eye on the eye box so i'm crouched over hanging on the scope right with my eye on this thing and and i'm walking around on like a little two two inch ledge and so my my nickname became koala right i was the the koala oh. bear hanging on the hanging on the eucalyptus tree so they used to love to to have me take the scope when especially when we had other people or other officers um they'd be like yeah watch this um hey ft the watch take the scope uh yes sir so um i'd climb up on the thing and like and like koala around it so that was that was my you know yes so we had fun i don't think i can ever unsee that reference yeah. no more mm -hmm. that's gonna yeah, stick so in my head yeah, what so about the, um what about your transition? So after the military, did you uh, did you get into controls and can I guess become more interested in controls and get into so, oil and gas or? Well, so um, like... I transitioned. I I um I got out of the military. I had my you know I had a top secret clearance. Um, and I was stationed in Groton, Connecticut, right up the road in Newport, Rhode Island, is uh, the Nav Sea Systems Command, where they have the Naval Undersea Warfare Center. This is where they develop all of the technology um, and all of the warfighting systems, um, the radio, combat controls, um, all these things are, are developed at the at the what we call NUIC, it's the Undersea Warfare Center, Naval Undersea Warfare Center, Newport, Rhode Island. Um, and I, I got a job with a, a contractor there. Um, I was I was very lucky. My my ship was the first ship in the Navy to deploy um, with these brand new Block Four Tomahawk missiles that had um, you know communications, two way communications uh, that were set up so that we could, we could monitor the health and status of the weapon uh, as it was in flight. And we we took the first t uh, twelve of these brand new Block Four missiles straight off of the truck from Raytheon. They delivered them like with like shiny wax on them and everything. And we promptly broke every one of them. Um, Wait, so, sorry to interrupt. The communication protocol was used for what? To communicate between oh, oh, yeah, the ship to, and the missile? Yeah, the, the ship and the and the missile itself, right? So okay. a Tomahawk is technically, it, uh, it, it's an unmanned aerial vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. um, it flies, it flies an autonomous mission. Um, and it, they were for a long time, what we call fire and forget, where you just you'd shoot them. And if they got there, they did. If, you, if they didn't, you weren't, you wouldn't know anyway. Right. Like, um, so when they came with the block four Tomahawks, the block four Tomahawks had a, um, a radio system in them that, that allowed for communications, uh, with the, the weapon in flight, it could be redirected. It could be, um, you know, without getting into a whole bunch of classified stuff, um, of course, it, it's um, you know it, just, it gave uh, it gave a lot more capabilities. But the big thing was it gave you an you know an in flight status, right, of of your your weapons and whether or not they achieved their target, right. Um, and that that whole it was a brand new weapon type, is a brand new uh, package, and we had to have this whole new fire control system. Um, installed and all of that um we, we had all that that done there were several of the ships in the navy that had gotten the the new fire control system we just happened to be the one that was deploying um at the right time to get these these first 12 hot off the press um you know two million dollar a piece weapons uh and they loaded us up with them 
and we performed our uh, obligatory, you know, what we called them, you know, power on checks and um, followed the exact procedural instructions that were provided. Um, and we what probably could go wrong, probably broke every single one of them. <laughs> so um, it was through that experience and, and having the men in black, right, like show up on the ship uh, the next day, the investigation, kind of figuring out what happened. Then I got I got to spend some time with uh, the the folks who did the job, and got um, got recommended highly when I got out of the Navy to to go work for them, um, doing that same you know development. And I worked for uh, both sides of what we call the testing evaluation, where we have the pre-deployment, uh, pre-testing, um, and 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 evaluation of the new systems. Um, and then I also worked uh, for a long time in what we call PDS, which is essentially um, in-service support of systems that had been deployed out in, into the Navy and were out on the ships and taking it out um, and, you know, installing them and, and testing them out and providing support. So, yeah. And that was a Unix, that was a Unix-based system. That was a HP Unix. And then we moved to a Debian Linux-based system. And I was um, I was part of that effort to, to move from Unix over to Linux. And um, that was where I got, I got a tremendous amount of experience back in, in 2009 in, you know, actually scripting uh, Linux installs, actually doing Linux packaging, um, getting pretty deep into uh, kernel modules and different uh, aspects of, of Linux control systems and how those things work. And I left, when I left the, from government contracting, never thought that I would see it again. I thought that this was a dead, you know, dying software that the military was just using because um, they had, you know, it was free or whatever. And um, never did I imagine that the cloud would bring Linux back into the world the way it has. So. I mean, it is surprising, right? Because obviously, I'm sure they had their own, you know, secure licenses, yeah. probably in copies that they ran yeah. specifically for the government, but still like an open source software. And again, I'm, I'm sure they can protect it, but uh, it's interesting well, it's that that's the route they went. Right. Right. Yeah. Everything was Red Hat. So and Red Hat is, you know, it's, it's licensed. It's um, it's fully supported and it's it's, uh, you know, HP Unix was um. The, the decision to use that was um, partially because uh, of the what we how we knew how to actually interface with the Tomahawks um, from the get go was using some old um, HP systems um, mm -hmm. to do mission planning. And so since that already existed, they, they just rolled that into the, the new fire control. Um, and we actually it was a strapped on system that was put on top of a a computer that was built by Singer Corporation back in the, you know, back in the 50s and 60s. Um, and that was, we knew that that worked. So that was how they built the, uh, the newer version of that. And then at some point, basically HP Unix was like, like nobody, like no one's using this anymore, right? Like what, like, right. I mean, I, you guys call us like once every couple of years and need new stuff and like, we have one guy that works on it. Okay. Like we're not supporting this anymore. So that was when we made the switch to the Debian base and that was, you know, an experience. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yes, sir. Now, now Sean, I think everyone is uh, is interested how you made the shift from that um, over huh? to the oil fields in North Dakota. But before Bye. we ask that question, uh, huh? Tom on LinkedIn was asking, uh, what like equivalent industrial vintage of controls were you working with? Uh, could you give us a time frame? Seventies, eighties, nineties? So yeah, so um, it was it was definitely from from like the the fifties. Um, okay, it was all wire wrapped uh, pin to pin boards, right? So we had these, these giant um, uh, consoles that we had these these drawers you would rack out, and there'd be like seven boards in there, and they had the the giant long um, pins with um, you know nine hundred and fifty seven wires from each one to to seven others, right? Um, and that was when you know what troubleshooting uh those things was was my first um real troubleshooting efforts uh to, to to fix anything find a burnt wire that was halfway down in a in those things you know yeah, um, wait pin but, boards that's like prior to relays even or is the data incorporate relays or how, how was the logic? Were, I'm not following so so the so there's air there's air relays and there was air logic in the ejection right but essentially you know the so the weapons encapsulate encapsulated outside of the pressure hole for vertical launch for torpedo tube launches it's you know you have a an airlock and so it most of the ejection system um, works off of 700 pound uh, air interlocks and and 2,000 pair pound uh, impulse air for your torpedo tubes um, outside the, the pressure hole it's the the whole sequence it just it's it works kind of like a, like a bullet coming out of a gun. You have a, you have a, a big wrapper that goes around the, the, the weapon, what we call the AUR, which is the, the all up round. Um, and it's got a frangible uh, top. We actually fill it with a uh, gas with a, a nitrogen. And there's a, also a nitrogen generator. That's a, that's that fires when, when you fire the squibs in order to launch the weapon. And so you're, you're launching from anywhere, but you know, you, you can be, um, quite deep. I'm not gonna get into. I don't know. I don't. I don't know where the classified um, um, information is now. I'm sure you could find it out if you looked online. But um, you could be quite deep uh, when you launch um, vertical launch mis uh, missiles. So you can actually have the weapon have to travel through several hundred feet of of water before it breaks, and it does so um, using a, a nitrogen basically bubble around it to keep the the booster um from getting wet and then once it ejects it and it and it comes back down towards the earth that's when the actual the the rocket fires and that takes off so hmm. um most of the uh of the controls was really actually doing serial communications with the the weapons that was the big thing um i i you know tube control and all that stuff was mostly done with air logic um but it was really, it was the serial communications and getting to getting into doing serial communications to ethernet, to the radio that really kind of gave me the background in order to go and do um, basically controls anywhere, because when you can, when you can actually create a data path in order to get your information um, that you need, that's, that's, you know, the key to actually succeeding, especially in the oil fields. Right. Um, that's a ton of what we do is just go get data mm -hmm. so and maybe that can uh, segue us into sure. the current things i guess dave had already asked the question but we can also uh preface that with another one that we got on youtube so do you see changes for the cabling instrumentation side of the process controls or do you think it will be strictly plc hardware and software well, I, uh, think I guess i also have many comments on that but yeah. i'll let you kind of 
take take well, over. So I think I think the big thing is um, I think what we're gonna see uh, going forward is you know more and more wireless is being adopted, and that's good. Um, I think in critical critical control, we're gonna continue to see um, instrumentation being being powered off of uh, heart. Like heart is such an incredible protocol, right? Like when you really kind of dig into how that works over two wires in order to both power a device, um, get an analog signal and communications all through the same two wires. That's, that's pretty incredible. I think we're going to, at least, you know, I don't know how much that gets used in manufacturing, but in process control, you know, 90% of your instruments are, are loop powered devices that, that are, have hearts, um, on them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the, the, the big thing that we're going to start to see um, as far as for um, the hardware is we're going to see some more expanded processing power, um, less, um, less PLC type stuff and a lot more just kind of a gateway um, that's actually just a, just a pass through for data. And I think that, that what we're going to see happening is the smarter the instruments become, um, what I'm real interested to, to get into is um, the instrumentation actually having the ability to be unhackable or to be unaffected by um, data corruption or um, anybody uh, interfering with the information coming from the, the sensors because they actually have, um, you know, EEPROM certified copies of the, of the, of the, their configuration um, and their, they, you can start doing networks between these nodes that can actually do a have a voting um, or consensus about whether or not a piece of data is actually valid or whether or not a piece of data has you know been corrupted or if it's time late or something like to that effect. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I guess I'm even curious myself to see how well cloud computing, but I guess like off-premises servers are going to impact controls, right? Because we're still seeing, I guess, traditional PLCs being deployed on manufacturing lines. But uh, I, I was always curious for the last couple of years, at least how we could migrate those onto a server. And of course, there's a lot of very, I feel, straightforward mechanisms that could be leveraged in manufacturing that are leveraged in other industries, like, like load balancing, for example, you uh -huh. could obviously optimize your co cost supply for different time zones. You can, it, like, there's a lot of things that we are not even taking advantage of that are somewhat low hanging fruits. But at the same time, as you said at the beginning, I think it's mm -hmm. difficult to see that shift in, uh, in manufacturing and convince and sell and, you know, make sure that these solutions are robust. Absolutely. You know, it's partial robustness. It's partially, um, it's, it's partially um, supply chains. It's partially... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, existing relationships that uh, the, the customer has with, you know, these guys and, and the people that, that service them. Um, there are a thousand different reasons why um, change gets resisted or um, change gets ha or change happens. But, you know, what we have to do is we have to realize where the fight is worth it and where change um, should be for good reason and not for just because and where change you know sh you know doesn't necessarily need to encroach because that works and not only that but it's you know it, it just let it die just like let that go away you know um and 
and that's a, that's the the way to kind of I think face some of the stuff out. Um, at the same at the same time, we're moving forward, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, again, w- when it comes to like like cloud computing and controls, I'm I'm still very hesitant on those kind of implementations. I think I think um, we could certainly see again I, what I what I'd really love to see is kind of a blockchain, uh, a sensor chain, kind of a, a deployment where each sensor is acting as a, uh, a node, which has um, the ability to both produce data and evaluate that data, um, along with having other nodes evaluate the data it's producing um, and come to a consensus to say this data that we're about to send across the network or write into the ledger or put into the, you know, the block for, you know, the, this, uh, this read time uh, or write time is essentially the, we know it's, it's, it's true and correct because we can verify it against some known good, um, you know, calculation. And that will, I think, move us into an area where we have sensors that are smart enough to tell us when they have a problem. Um, and we have sensors that are giving us, you know, incredibly strong, good data. And we can actually start thinking about moving to having, having your, your cloud computing do the control and do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm very interested in, in these kind of things, you know. We have so, a good question from Tom to follow up on, mm-hmm. on that. Uh, so the question is, more and more electronic systems have migrated towards system on silicone. Do you see that mm-hmm. migration of military electronics as beneficial to reliability, maintainability, and sustainability? Um, as, again, as long as it's employed in a thoughtful, careful manner that allows for um, real, realistic understanding of um, what are the, the hangups and what could be the problems, right? Um, and and it has to, you know, it has to be looked at from the lens of. Um, what is the real circumstance in which these things are going to operate and, and what is the realistic possibility that they cause a, you know, a catastrophe or, or an issue? Um, you know, Tomahawk cruise missiles, people get asked all the time um, back when I was doing it about, especially like new young engineers about, you know, why do we spend all this time developing these, these uh, missions and, and the, all these systems in order to, you know, not just use GPS, right? The, the weapons obviously can use GPS to fly. Why do we need to have these inertial navigation systems in order for them to, um, you know, do their job? Well, what happens if GPS isn't there? Oh, and by the way, GPS is one of those things that in the battle space, we tend to like turn off as fast as we can. Yep. Like yep. we block it. So, so it's great that we have these young people that are, that are, that are thinking about ways to employ new technology and, and these things, but there are some reasons and there are some times that um, we have to be realistic about what, what we're facing. And there are ways that, that have been developed and there are best practices that have been, been looked, you know, used over time that actually like they're there for a good reason. And we should know what they are before we try to change them. I like how that ties back to uh, to Mark Mark's point way at the beginning of the stream. Like, there's there's always a reason something has been done in a certain way, right? So you should understand oh, yeah. that reason first before you try and uh, and change the industry. And that's I think that applies in many different fields. And some of the topics that we talked about, even like the hard oh. 
protocol, right? Like it has its place of being and like it is used, like I've seen it used many times in the industry for uh, like flow meters or pressure sensors, like analog type of stuff, but it may not be the solution to absolutely everything, right? There's no, oh, no yeah. kind of like one size fits all answer. And then it's not- difficult to know again, like those military applications, I can only kind of imagine what it must be like, but I- I've heard things where, like you can test things on a workbench, right? And then you go out mm. in the field and it's a completely different story. Like it's extremely difficult. There's challenges that you cannot foresee in a, in a test lab. So that oh, applies and, to- and this, and this is why your field guys hate customers, right? Mm. It, it, this is it, right? This is why your technical badasses, your guys that go in the field, the dudes that kick nuts and get shit done, right? Um, they hate customers. It's because they constantly get asked and demanded um, to do things that like, you don't actually want me to do that because if you did, right. You, you wouldn't be asking me to do that. Um, right. So, and, and, and understanding, you know, again, you, we like the way that we approach these things um, in order to be disruptive and be disruptive in a, in a manner that is going to both be um, it's going to change the industry and it's going to actually have a lasting effect and it's going to actually move the industry forward is to is to to consider why things are the way they are what is actually is actually happening um in the real world where these systems are applied and used and and understand what it is that we're, we're actually intending to do um because the bandwidth the you know the processing power of, of any of those pieces of equipment behind you or behind me over here is, is just, is just so minuscule compared to, you know, what it deals with on, on a regular basis that it is, it is utterly impossible to, to, to grasp that what you're, what you're trying, you, your security packages do are not going to go on this machine because you're going to stop us from operating. Right. Um, and as, as, as terrible as that is, it is, and it, and it has to be right. So, um, there's just no, there's just no other way around that. Like, I would love for everybody to operate totally in compliance and, you know, I love every freaking panel view plus that's running windows CE from like eight years ago. Right. That's just, that's just, you know, you don't want to upgrade them to the newest windows 10 and then. (laughs) something like I, w- I would, I would hope that, that we have, you know, that the IT departments have considered the fact that they have in their fields, right. Like they have all over the place, a whole bunch of windows CE like products from seven, eight, nine years ago. Right. Like you think, I mean, as long as they're not on the special list of the IT department, you know, they, they don't yeah. exist. They kind of get swept under the rug. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's that's like a very big point that I think we've all seen in the field. And ultimately, mm-hmm. I think as, as you were kind of mentioning the initial thought on, on your point, I think a good consultant would walk mm-hmm. away from jobs that don't make sense. Right. You know what I mean? To your point of sure. like, you sure. got to be able to tell the customer. And I think that's where like the best consultants really shine or like engineers or tech people is that they will tell the customer like, look, like if that's how you want to do it, go find somebody else. Right. right. Because at the end of the day, 
Like there are really bad solutions and we're not even, you know, sure. like it, it could be like one thing that it's bad because it's not going to work, but it could be even yeah. worse if it's going to get like hacked or, you know, cause somebody to, yeah. to die in the machine because like, your safety is just All right. uh, poorly designed by the customer and they want it to, you know, reset when somebody pushes some kind of a button in the other room. Yeah, sure. Like it's. Or, or like we, we are going to, we're going to start this system up. Um, we know we don't have any instrumentation and we know you haven't tested um, or commissioned anything. Just um, bypass it, Sean. Bypass it. Yeah, but just bypass Just put a bypass in, right? Just bypass that sucker. Yeah. And like, like the, I've literally experienced on a commissioning um, that the, the customer was insistent. We were going to start taking water from the customers and we were going to start moving uh, fluid in pumps, you know, brand new H pumps. Um, I mean, we're talking, we're talking, million and a half dollar units um, have to run. We haven't, we haven't even fully tested them. We don't know that they, they can actually, you know, take the load. Yeah. Got to run. Um, and, and then come to find out uh, when we did decide to actually um, get permission to test the, the emergency shutdown valve for the, the entire site. Oh yeah. That didn't work either. Right. So for several weeks we were, we were, you know, running without the ability to even shut down if we had to. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, there are poor decisions um, that become the priority when construction gets delayed, as it always does, when the project doesn't move as fast as it should, when there's, you know, there's a list of 800 electrical punch items and the electricians are done, right? They've signed off, their ticket's finished, right? They're not coming yeah. back. Um, like those things, um, there are horrendous decisions that, that get made in those those situations, and just like like you said, Vlad, you have to be you have to be big enough to stand up and say, "I'm, I'm not going to do this," right? Um, yep, and, and even be and, willing to walk away. Like I, again, absolutely. Sorry to to interrupt, but I guess like mm. like when it comes to safety, like it's I've seen things that were absolutely ridiculous, right? And I, I'm mm. laughing just because of like remembering how bad they were, but ultimately it's mm. not uh it's no joke right and like i've been asked yeah. i remember uh to bypass like safety systems on a yeah. um on this like microwave essentially thermal oven and so they would say like oh like our temperature sensors now are not working can you just like crank up the limits to infinity and like obviously it can be done in software sure. i told them like listen that's just not something i'm willing to do and of course right. you know they then they would ask somebody else to do it and i told them like look if that's if that's the route you guys are going i'm like walking away from this facility sure. today because like that's like it's unsafe for me but obviously i'm not going to be the guy going into that oven mm. but someone will be still fine-tuning mm. that piece of equipment and you know me just knowing that fact again like obviously it's their equipment so they can technically do sure. what they want but i i can't be there you know knowing that that's yeah. that may happen so i think i think part of, part of our job right um and this is something to kind of you know start in you know, and this comes from being in the oil field, right? Um, I I left from working on OEM um, building machine tools and equipment to go to work for um, National Oil Barco, which is a manufacturer of um, drilling equipment and systems. Um, these are the biggest, coolest systems I've ever seen, man. Like, I I. A drill ship is literally nothing more than, than a, a giant robot that has four people like operating the, the, the robot arms. And it is, it is one of the most intensely cool things you've ever seen. Um, 
However, um, part of our job is to get the job done. Um, and if the customer is insistent on doing things, there are safe ways that, that you can you know, actually test and you can actually operate. And, and I'm all about finding ways to do the job, right? If, if, okay, if you want to run it, these pumps, we're not going to do it in auto because we have not yet tested our PID or tuned our PID. We can run it in hand and you can have your operator stand there ready to throw the switch and shut it down. It, you know, the, the minute it's, it starts running away or, or not operating in, in a feasible manner. Right. Um, you, there are ways that we can mitigate some of this stuff. And I think we, we part of, part of what we have to do on site is lead that effort to accomplish the job. Um, and we have to, we have to actually do the thing. However, um, if you have the attitude of we're going to get this done and we're going to find a way to, to do this safely, it, it, no matter what you do, they, there's a, there's a push to do the next thing, do the next thing, do the next thing where, okay, now we're so far down the line of, uh, you know, trying these things and we haven't proven out our system. We haven't proven our logic. We haven't proven out the, the instruments that are connected to it. Um, what are we testing? And what is the purpose of continuing to stop us from doing the job of, of commissioning the site and just making the stuff happen over here? Um, so part of that part of that effort has to be, you know, always driving back to refocusing on no, no, we have to we have to we have to commission the site. Um, we have to we have to commission the machine. We have to get this thing going. But but I do think that um, part of part of the leadership that has to come out of the controls guys because we're the ones who see the whole picture, right? That's the big thing. You're the one who's looking at all of it together. You're seeing all the inputs, you're seeing all of this, the safety, you're seeing all the, all the aspects of what's going on. Um, and you're the one who can say, right, this is what we have to do to get this, this, this thing tested, this next step done, this next uh, equipment online, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. And you have, to, you, have to, you, have to, you have to lead that effort, but you have to lead that effort with, um, real expectations of, of actually like not getting people killed. So, yeah, for sure. Extremely important. Dave, yeah. um, what do you think of uh, stirring up the pot with, uh, with the question we asked Sean that started a, a debate and I guess an ongoing discussion in the manufacturing industry, but current technologies, Sean, and what are your thoughts mm -hmm. on, you know, some of the, the platforms, the OEMs of um, I guess, PLCs in, in general, mm -hmm but also, you know, what are they doing wrong and what are some of the new ones doing right? Maybe without being too specific of the exact yeah, sure, manufacturers. Sure, but... sure, sure. Um, so, you know, it's no, it's no, it's no secret that um, I think that we should be employing um, structured text uh, as, a, as a programming language um, much more often than, than is being deployed. I think we should be doing things in an, an object-oriented manner. Um, and some of the companies are very good about this. Some of them have implemented in kind of a weird, broken way. And some of them have essentially just like not. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I, am, I am someone who came from the world of um, Linux and Unix and, and, and actually attempting to build systems um, that were not hardware specific. That has been my mindset and been what we, what, what the whole effort um, of a lot of what I did, you know, when I, when I first came out of the military and started working in the industrial, you know, world. Um, 
so I, I, I retain that a lot is efforts to make systems hardware diagnostic or hardware agnostic, right? Um, however, this industry is completely 100% locked into every piece of hardware that, that goes onto, you know, into a control system um, because that's how they get you to buy more of their equipment at a higher price. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my big thing is, is we have, we have fantastic hardware that is built by companies um, that is open and that is easy to use and that can be done in an agile way where we have good software development. We have open um, interoperable software um, testing and uh, pipelines that are developed between the IT and the OT departments. And these are the things that we should be pushing to use in our industry and not obfuscating and hiding and trying to stay, you know, in the corner with our little tiny processors um, that run real fast. Right. Like, cause that's it, I right? Like you see a lot of these, VLCs. that's it. That's it. You see, you see these guys, right? Like they sit on a corner. Do you feel corner, personally right, attacked, Vlad? Yeah, definitely. Look at this, right, look like, at this corner. I'm like, right, right here is my corner. Yeah. You know what I mean? like, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and it is right. Like you get you a nice comfortable bucket, you know, you put your sweater on and you're in your, and you're in the, you know, you're in the zone and you're doing your thing. But, but the minute that, um, that they want you to integrate with, um, within the, the bigger environment, the, uh, the corporate, uh, system, the, you know, um, the SAP, right. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden it's like, Oh man, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to deal with that. I want to just like keep my, my stuff like not connected to anything. Right. Just yeah. leave me alone. And what do you think a- it's going to take to change? Cause I mean, like at the end of the day, I think we're going to have to, or systems integrators are going to have to sell these solutions and yeah. implement them. And it, that like, I think encompasses a whole array of things, right? It's not just going into a plant and telling them like, Hey, let's mm-hmm. mi- migrate you guys from Siemens or Rockwell to let's say up to 22 no. or like Wago or whatever runs, like let's say Codis is, mm-hmm. but how do you like, how do you change their mind, but also like in, encompass such like big projects because it's like it's going to be upskilling people it's going to mm-hmm. be like training their existing you know technicians electricians the it's be, then like there's nobody to hire that's very experienced in those systems yet like there's mm-hmm. a lot of challenges i feel sure absolutely um and we can do hard things right that's something like you have to know that Vlad. like like we can do hard things and that's okay and it's okay to say this is going to be hard right um but at the end of the day there are there are decisions that have to be made and and if 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 a company wants to move into having um you know agile processes integrated it and ot um fully compliant systems where we have our it um actually doing management of of you know ot assets the way they should probably because god knows we're horrible about doing any security updates or packages or anything like that right um, like if we want to move into that, in that direction, then we have to move towards an agile open process where and it doesn't have to be open, um, like to the world, but it needs to be an open conversation an open development process between the IT and the OT integrators and the, and the, the, those people that are there sharing the information making sure that the latest changes are always available to, to the other teams and documenting and, and, and tracking changes. 
and making sure that before we show up on site, they have good idea of what it is that we're going to be running, what the systems look like and, and how they, how they're going to be interconnected. Right. Um, and this, you know, if we're not trying to, to use those agile methods, um, you know, we're going to continue to, to, to operate the way we have, which is essentially going to get people hurt. Right. That's my biggest fear is that we're going to do a perfectly great job on the, on the process side, on the control side, and the system will execute exactly as it's being told to execute, but there will be someone in another country somewhere else who wants it to execute in a bad way. Yeah. You know? no, it's, um, uh, I agree. I agree. I, I think, uh, I think we're still far from that utopia as you described sure. it because when i sure. show up to a site if there's any documentation that i'm extremely ecstatic you know but i, I agree Anything. that all like, those good practices are necessary to be put absolutely in place. right yeah but you think like um, is there maybe like a, a ramp up to that like how would you like um i don't know let's say put yourself in a new systems integrator shoes let's say they have a team of mm -hmm. three to five people right is there mm -hmm. maybe a ramp up period where they can go to a very small company and then have a proof of concept where they could sell, you know, some of these new technologies and methodologies yeah. and then kind of grow to the next step. Like how do you see that getting to well, some of the larger companies? So, so that's the beauty of, of object oriented development is mm -hmm. the fact that we can build systems. They don't have to, they don't have to, um, you know, we can build libraries, we can build systems, we can build entire, you know, deployments that are built around um, just data objects and and data representations, um, the same way that we do in Java and JavaScript, and mm -hmm. you know, into an, you're, like Vlad, you work really well with 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 web stuff. You have beautiful websites, right? Like you, you know, Solus has done really sure. well. Um, like, and I know you do that yourself, right? So, you you know, the the way that that's all done it's, it's, it's fairly modular, right? Like it's, it's fairly right. kind of plug and play, like mm -hmm. grab, like bootstrap has made um, the web, like super awesomely easy to do. You know what I mean? Right. I can grab yep. bootstrap. I can plug this here, stick a button there, map it to whatever I like. And it's, and it's super easy. Right. Um, now we don't have that, that infrastructure, but we can build it because we have object oriented programming systems that's what the iec 61131 um 3 was was from the jump from 1994 it was designed to use um instantiations of code objects for reusability this was this is in the the, the abstract from the original write-up back in 1994 right and 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 at that time we were late to the game trying to do object oriented anything um as far as for for programming in the in the industrial world right and you know here it is you know 2021 and we still haven't figured out how to how to make that happen even though it is the standard right like it's built into the standard um yeah. and i think i think that's the we what needs to happen is we need to teach industrial controls systems folks how to program from like how to program that's just i don't care what language it is right but just teach them how to program and then and then teach them the ide and the specific system and the specific thing and if we teach them how to program and we teach them how to program within the framework of 
IEC 61131 and the, and how to use the the methods, the functions, the you know um, all the actions and, and the different the different uh, interfaces um, that that can be used in with within that framework, um, and just just give them the possibility of of doing these things, um, then it doesn't matter if you go to a system like like Rockwell where they have kind of halfway implemented it. Um, you will find ways to make that work for you, right? Um, once you've you've got an understanding of how to actually do that, and that's a big thing is that's what we're missing is an actual understanding of of how to make object oriented and how to make code objects um, work in libraries implementation, you know, implementing libraries for you know for the industrial control system. Yeah. yeah. I um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. Right? No, no, I think uh, Sean, what you're saying is a good point. We've got Mark um, in the comments, and he made a uh, he made a comment that uh, I was thinking as you were talking about it is it's more of a cultural change th than a technolo technological one. We in theory had the technology to get there. Mm -hmm. it, it's mm -hmm. more it's more of an issue of how do we change the culture of these companies? Like, how do we change you know companies wanting all of their PLCs programmed in ladder logic how do we sure, right. move away from 1950 60 70s technology what? to 2020s technology yeah well sure i mean dave the, the big thing is right like ladder logic right that's not what the plc uses mm -hmm. plc doesn't actually execute ladder logic right it executes right. machine code right ladder logic is just a representation of 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 the 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 code you know in one fashion Right, like it, it is the way that, um, you know, I, I think it, it certainly uh, is easier to kind of grasp. It's, it's, you know, once you kind of get how the rung works, right, and what the rung does. But realistically, you know, one of the things that you know people complain about, you see the the argument about using um, OT, OTL and OTU, right? Vlad, what are your thoughts on OTL and OTUs? Well, I was always told never to use them. Never use them, right? Why? <laughs> I have to use them all the time. Yeah, but but like why 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 is it like bad practice? Why is it you know nobody wants you to use those? Well, because um, you can you can add rungs in between that can essentially scramble the code, or if you address them in different areas, then they can uh, you can change the status of your bid, and then it's difficult, uh, very difficult to follow to read. It becomes too troublesome to uh, to troubleshoot sure. in the end. Sure, you somewhere in the you can have a you have an unlatched that just keeps dropping your thing off that you're trying yep. to you're just trying to turn on or whatever, right? Um, and and you can end up in unsafe situations because circuits that you're relying on to you know do safety or whatever are actually just getting you know unlatched or turned off and you don't even know because yep. you know that the way it looks to you is that is if it's operating. Um, I, and I understand that, but this is how logic works. You know the wrong saying to both to an OTE saying both energize and de-energize based on the on the conditions on the rung every other programming programming language that would require two statements that would require you specifying you know what what turns it on right and then ensuring you handle the the, the turning off uh, of that of that output right um it's you know ladder logic allows you to do that in, in one sequence. And that's a good thing, right? Like we should want to simplify our code, but understanding that literally like, you know, focusing on 
only using this type of logic because it's the one that that people know and kind of have an expectation for how it works you're still relying on an interpreter to change that logic into mm -hmm. something that's usable in the plc right so why can't we do that with any other language why can't we do that with structured text why can't we do that with with function block right is get <laughs> your head around the fact that get your head around the fact that at the end of the day it's ones and zeros and you need to understand what you're doing and what you're what you're telling the machine to do with those ones and zeros because if you don't there there are times when your code won't work because you're not you're not actually thinking about or encompassing what's actually happening in the in the the code not just on not just a visual representation you know right um no, so i mean i think so, it's a self perpetrating reality right like because we've mm -hmm. had it for so long we keep using it and then because mm -hmm. we have it in place like there's a cost to switching even you know on the hardware side like you mm -hmm. can't ignore the um the expenses that you would incur so same like if you have i don't know four engineers and 10 technicians who are comfortable with ladder mm -hmm. logic then they're going to hire someone who's comfortable on that yeah. and you know so on and so forth it goes and it, it's mm -hmm. like there's no kind of hard stop that would tell them like hey how about we learn this uh, this new way sure. of doing things that would improve us let's say five years down the road because again i think understanding like the business side is important because they are trying to get quicker returns for the investors within the next like mm -hmm. year right and so it's everything's mm -hmm. like very short-sighted and that gets um mm -hmm. like abruptly truncated by the upper management who's not maybe looking to to go like five ten years Sure, absolutely, and and, and that's in, in you know it's a valid point, right? The other thing is there are plenty of systems out there that like ladder is the language, right? Like mm -hmm. if I'm going to work on a skater pack, you know what I mean? Um, skater pack is going to be you, you know especially the older stuff. It's going to be ladder logic. If if you know we've installed a ton of, of IDEX out in the field, right? IDEX yep. is it's going to be ladder. You need to know it. You need to understand it, and and it does do a good job. It works for the industry, and I get that. Um, however, right, there are times using, I, I have, I have some really great examples. Um, what got me into, into looking at structured text was, um, one of the standard kind of, um, templates that we used when I started working for stat, uh, for, um, a company up in, in, uh, North Dakota, right. Um, we were deploying these, this kind of very large standardized program even though, you know, we go to one well site and um, have, you know, to turn off 53 tanks and, um, you know, nine pump off controllers, but it, but it didn't matter because, you know, we could turn all that stuff off, but they, they did a very good job of, of laying out the code using structured text in order to generate all of your, all of your bit, your masking, right. What, you, mm -hmm. what a lot of people call masking, right. So taking the, the local, um, IO inputs, mapping that over to a to a, a, a tag name, having that tag name um, be the the end of the line, either going in or out from the from different points within the code, and then also using that to to either turn on or turn off code objects, both in the the touch screen, um, in the HMI, and then and then different uh, data objects from being represented in the SCADA or not being represented in the SCADA. Through uh, through statements in structured text, and that made commissioning way easy, because when you're on site and literally all you have to do is is hop in the code, and either comment uh, this line or uncomment this line, 
and that literally will start something up or that will test um, this vessel mm -hmm. or that will a lot like that is that's what it's all about and or being able to, to just literally um, comment a line out or comment a part of a, a, an instruction out and shove a number um, into this value right this tag right here in order to you know cause the motor to turn on something to turn off um, instead of having to actually do it on the rung or find a find a force or whatever um, you just you just drop the, the, the analog value you want right in the in structure text and there it is right that made life so easy and then and then the, the next thing that I realized when I went back to using um, all all you know ladder stuff that was tightly integrated with you know um, very highly um, synchronized you know uh, objects on the screen and doing some plant pack stuff um, what I realized is that you can fit so much more code in structured text on your screen right now yep. right like like there is the mouse wheel on my on my mouse was saying thank you you know what i mean i was not scrolling a whole lot more right you could see a lot more of, of the information um right in front of you and and that you know that was super valuable in doing that particular job and so it really that you know after having had used it and seeing the utility of it um from a from a commissioning standpoint from an on-site um troubleshooting standpoint that's what pushed me to actually like to to say okay what else can i do with this and how you know how much more can i can i execute with this right yeah um, and it's and uh, it. it's an interesting like perspective i guess even for me like i obviously i learned a traditional language before i learned uh ladder mm -hmm. logic so I, I studied in cc plus plus yeah and you know even up to this day, whenever I write ladder logic, I still in my head, when I process it, I think of like, this is how like a for loop would be designed. And so yep. I almost translate that into ladder logic. And I think it's almost a, a shame that we've, you know, like transitioned into that versus like the other way around, you know, instead mm -hmm. of trying to push more lag ladder logic into the field, we're not doing structured text. And like, I think like you've mentioned some of the benefits, but there's, you know, just so many more, like you oh, there's have more, to right. sell me on it, but uh, oh, yeah, yeah. like, it, it's just, I think like, as we go further in manufacturing, I'm hoping that more software engineers, you know, guys who really know how to code are going to be interested in some of these jobs and kind of make that or help that transition. Uh, but of course, there's going to be many obstacles as well, like knowing the hardware versus like software, sure. like it's absolutely. But... And, and, I, and I think that's where that's where we're going to see a lot of the lines starting to get blurred mm -hmm. with, um, you know, edge controllers and more and more of the Linux deployment stuff and the, the you know, um, standard comp computation like um, types of, of equipment being out there. I think that's going to blur the lines a lot more. You're going to see a lot more guys coming out and writing, you know, writing a Node.js library that handles the data um, because you're running on a, on a Linux, um, you know, machine. Yes, that has the, your, the runtime on it, but you don't even have to worry about formatting your, your data um, in order to send it off to the, to the cloud because they're going to run a, you know, a Node.js script or they're going to put a, put a Python script or something that's going to be doing the data formatting. And that's all happening on the pipeline side, like on the communication side. And, and you just don't even have to do it. You're just going to send your, your Modbus the way you normally always send your like dinky Modbus crap. And it's going to handle it for you, you know? Right. Um, and, and that's the thing that I think is um, where the, the good technicians, you know, um, I think it was, it was, it was Derek Stubbs um, said something the other day about 
um, actually knowing, being the guy who knows what's actually happening and being able to, to explain, um, that is invaluable, mm-hmm. right? There's a whole lot of people that can do some hand waving and be like, yeah, you know, just kind of you know, plugs in and talks to that over there. And we always set it up this way, right? I mean, some people are quite um, good at hand waving, right? And creating oh, there's some the illusion yeah. of not actually hand waving, but no, yeah, pretty- just um, like we just yeah, we do this, right? Like, um, and and they know that this is how we set things up, and they know that we always put this file there, and we always make this that IP address, right? And have no actual concept of what that IP address is is accomplishing it, you know, in order to to talk to or, or communicate with with some other thing and when they have a problem with it they don't know they just know that's how we always set it up and it's not working right um and and being the guy on site who actually knows right this is how the network works this is how we're serially communicating to you know this device um this is how your you know um you, you know can buses is routed in order to to pull this data um that's a that's an invaluable thing but it's, you know, less and less of that is happening. I think this all comes down to people need to, if we teach our programmers how to program, and, and I don't care what language it is, it could be Python, it could be, you know, whatever, teach them how to program. I mean, I'd start with assembly, like call me old fashioned, yeah, I mean, hey, but you know, make them sweat, make I mean, them work on those registers. Yeah, that's stuff. it, buddy. Like literally that's just it, go dude. down to binary, straight up programming. Like Count the memory and blocks. Yeah. That's right. I mean, I mean, it's important, you know, at some point you have to learn how to memory allocate properly. You have to learn how to make your systems efficient. Like, because all of those yeah. things are in theory built in somewhere down yeah. in your compilers. But uh, I think it's an important lesson, right? Like it, it's to learn. Uh, because then you, you build the inefficient. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I just, um, I want to say, I, I, had the, I had the opportunity when I worked out in North Dakota to live with, um, with one of my best friends, uh, Dino, who is a, he's actually a, a mechanical engineer guy uh, from, from Georgia Tech. Um, brilliant, brilliant dude. Um, who, he's an audiophile, right? And he, he relates controls, everything controls to, um, to audio signal processing and audio inputs and outputs. Right. Um, cause that's how his brain works and mm-hmm. it's beautiful and it is, it's amazing. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that Dino did was, and, and I was able to, to kind of help him, you know, put together was he did a talk on what is a bit actually like, what is, what is a bit actually like, and how does a bit actually become something that's useful you know, in this, this large, you know, yeah. It's a, so a bit is a, is a data type, right. But, but what sure. is it, right. Um, how is it represented as a one or a zero and, and, and in the big, the big picture, you know, um, what is it doing? And that was fascinating to, to start actually thinking about how that, that's, that becomes, you know, a turned on output or a turned off output, right. Or, a, yep. you know, a signal. And until we get people reaching into that, and actually thinking about okay, what what am I what the hell am I actually doing here? Like, what is occurring when I I build this this rung of of um, ladder logic? I, I think we're still gonna we're gonna have a bunch of, of bumble bumble messing around and like people just you know fingering stuff in the field. I mean, you're gonna have to get down to like transistor labs and silicon wafers and you Wait, know that's so gonna people be. Should understand- 
people should understand that like essentially like a bit is a 3.3 volt signal that has turned on a transistor you know what I mean? right and why that is you know um it, because because if you if you can't it, like if you don't understand that then understanding what data types are at, at a fundamental level is is also very difficult right you can know right it, yeah boolean is this and a, and a you know double is is this many bytes or whatever but what is a byte you know what is yeah. it really like like actually it's a nibble right and why do, are the, do those things matter you know um because if you're if you know the big thing that i we actually have um going on in plcs is thinking about what the hell it is you're actually doing because um you're not just stopping someone from getting an email you're not just going to make like uh the corporate boss mad because he's, he doesn't have his, his daily report in the morning. Like you have actual consequences of actual people actually getting hurt by the, these machines. Right. And so unless mm. you, you, you have the ability to comprehend what you're actually doing, like that's, you know, then you're just fingering it. Right. Like you're just, you're just messing around. Like my, I have a one-year-old who like sticks his finger and stuff. And that's, what that's what you know you're doing on site if you if you don't try to understand it any in the industry opinion. with a with a fairly Sticky negative hands. brush i'd say that's, but that's, <laughs> hopefully that's not what's going on everywhere but yeah I, i'm no. sure have seen uh my share of that Absolutely. um gentlemen i think we've uh way went over our time I'm and sorry, i think guys. uh like our conversation i mean like i'm fascinated by this i mean we can get down to the transistor level i'm sure for another hour Mm -hmm. But um, I guess out of respect for some of the viewers who are yeah. maybe looking to get off at uh, a specific time, um, you know, maybe we'll close this off. I don't know, Dave, if you had like one last question or you just wanted to kind of conclude. We, we didn't even get into like the oil and gas and like we did the, not, like the we energy did not or anything like that. We've got a bunch so. of really good questions um, asking about Linux, asking about Sean's blockchain sensors. I think that at this point we should commit to dragging Sean back on at some point in the future yep. because this, like every conversation Sean and I have ever had has gone an hour and 20 minutes in <laughs> five more hours. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. My, yeah. My, I, I apologize guys. Um, Dave, if you want to do me a favor, let's, um, let's do a, like a, um, I'll type up a response to the questions uh, as best I can and we'll get them posted. Um, so that at least we have some, some, some information out there. And we can use some of that as a starting off point for whenever you guys get around to um, put me back on the calendar. No, no, absolutely. I think that that sounds great. Um, mm -hmm. So if anyone is still listening, uh, Vlad and I are going to commit to uh, having another show next Wednesday, uh, more of a he and I uh, talking about things. So Wednesday the 3rd at the same uh, time frame. Uh, but Sean, uh, I know we mentioned at least briefly, uh, you're working with Sahoma Controlware at the yes, moment. Sir. For everyone still listening, do you want to give them the, the quick, you know, this is what you guys are doing at Sahoma. These are yeah. the sort of people that should reach out to you. Yeah. So um, at Sahoma Controlware, we, we're, we're a full service integrator. We do um, everything from, um, you know, uh, building panels, uh, setting up, um, doing engineering studies, um, running any kind of a project you can think of the thing that we are um seeming to to, to be uh focused on is uh, a lot of the the iot type implementations um a lot of the or i should say iot um we we have some really great experience um building from scratch in c sharp and in python and uh some different some different tools 
Um, and we also have some, some really good experience with things like, like blockchain, things like, um, you know, automated um, ledgering systems. Um, these are really great for truck ticketing, for uh, different types of uh, compliance nodes. Um, so we've got, we've got some, some experience with those things. And we are certainly looking forward to more projects uh, in the oil and gas or agricultural space um, or, or any, you know, really anywhere that we can, you know, find opportunities to employ Linux, to employ open source solutions. Um, we, we, we are a Codasys uh, prime partner um, in, in the U.S. and we have done many developments with Codasys, uh, but I am just as comfortable with Alan Bradley. Um, whether, whether I... Um, really like it or not, I know it really well because I've had to. So um, I just uh, encourage people to reach out. Both myself and uh, Justin are um, very open to having any conversation about anything and um, see where it goes. Um, Dave, you got a chance to, to meet um, Jake mm -hmm. and that video will be coming out uh, pretty soon. I know he's he's being quite picky about uh, doing his editing and he's he, he wants to um, he wants to treat it with the, the respect that he has for, you know, the, his position. And he is, um, he's learning just how, how easy it is to get wrapped around the axle about um, either video editing or uh, building a SCADA system or, or anything visual. Right. Um, and uh, yeah. And, and he's, and, and Jake is, is a great guy who's um, he just wants everything to be the best. So he's, um, you know, he's fighting with that. So, but we will, uh, we'll talk soon. And um you know, we have, we have a great shop, we have a great team. Uh, mostly, I'm, I'm just learning everything I can from Mr. Justin and some of our other partners that have um, done some really interesting um, applications in vehicles and things like this. And uh, looking forward to future and, and continuing to run projects um, and whatever we can, we can help our customers bring to the table. Um, we're all about it. Awesome. Thank you, Sean. Really appreciate it. I, I do want to mention that um, I guess if you're listening to, the, to a recording of this or watching, there will be links to Sean's profile. So you, I guess you know where to find him and yeah. uh, reach out as needed. Extremely yeah. helpful. Uh, I think we've connected on LinkedIn. It's been over a year now. I think oh, yeah, maybe even two yeah. years. It's and like, we've talked been. many times, like extremely technical, extremely helpful in many ways. So uh, the links will be posted, I don't know, here, down here, maybe, or depending yep. on the platform, I guess, but they will somewhere, be there. Somewhere around so, this box. Yeah. Look for That's right. And, and speaking again, of which, and speaking of which, if you guys are still listening, please drop us a like or a subscription if you're on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. Uh, please like Manufacturing Hub. That is where smash that, Vlad, like smash that like button. That, that's where Vlad and I are going to plan to do a lot of posting. And that's where you guys can continue to find the best and most up-to-date information on the show. Absolutely. Thank, no, we got a lot all. more um, questions on YouTube too, by the way. But I'll I'll send them and Sean yes. can answer them. I guess. Yeah, let's know, and we'll do it. We'll do an yeah, we'll do an open post and uh, we'll do like a like an open post on um on the the LinkedIn uh, mm -hmm. link for it or whatever, so that everybody can see um all the answers. So, all right, thanks guys. I appreciate the audience. I appreciate everybody from asking questions. I'm sorry we didn't get them. I could talk way too much. Um, you know. So, uh, anyway, guys, thank, thank you all everyone. for being here. Thank all you, right. Sean. Thank you, everyone. Yep. Later. Yep. Bye. Bye.